Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, all, and welcome to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host. And, you know, this is a podcast that's dedicated to helping people think bigger, better, and bolder about how they enter the marketplace. So please share with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone you know who runs a business, is thinking about starting a business, um, or, or feels a little stuck in their business. This is the place for you to be. And I'm excited about our guest today because he has a wealth of information. He has had so much experience in so many different areas um, that I know we're going to have to have him back because there's no way we're going to be able to jam pack this hour with everything that I know that he could share and offer to you. Um, He's an educator, a coach. He worked as a senior corporate professional um, in the financial industry. Uh, He's a serial entrepreneur who now runs a digital currency business with offices in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. Dr. Charlie Williamson, um, we're going to have to have you back. Like I'm welcoming you, welcoming you now, just to tell you that we're going to have you back. How are you, sir? No, I'll be here. There's not. I'll, <laughs> I'll bring a I'll bring a cart. I'll sleep here if I need to. You don't have to worry about bringing me back. I'll be here. <laughs> very good, very good. You know, one of the things. So, so you were you were introduced to me um, just a couple of weeks ago, and someone said, a friend of mine said, you, you know, you have to have Charlie on the show. And what struck me in our conversation is that you are really enjoying life that you are you have a good time and um, I'm not saying that you don't work hard but it seems like you really enjoy the work that you do and and, and even if you run into problems you're just going to be able to, to figure it out or or you seem like the type who would just walk away from it if it doesn't if it doesn't work out and you know it, it is I think it's very important to find your place in life where you feel very comfortable within yourself you know as I evolve as an individual, I just started to get more comfortable in my skin. And I said, I'm going to be my whole person because it's good enough. So, you know, where some people have to transition or go to one meeting to another meeting and they, you know, they kind of shift with the setting. I think my personality is good enough just to be everywhere, you know, that um, that I've invited. And when there are issues, you're right. I'll say to myself, Akuna Matata. I literally say Akuna Matata. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And when I say it in like settings, when someone does something or something goes wrong, I say, no worries, Akuna Matata. It kind of brings joy to the room. That person just laughs automatically. So I try to do anything possible to have a very contagious personality that is um, one that's cheerful. Sometimes it throws people off because they're wondering, you know, is it consistent? I'm absolutely consistent. You'll find me this way all the time. 
Wow. And I have to believe that it has absolutely served you in in business where you're dealing with different personality types, where you're dealing with competitiveness, um, all sorts of challenges, things that can go wrong. I'm sure this is a quality that that serves you really well in business. And I appreciate you recognizing that, you know, over time, I would like to see more people in the world recognize it and perhaps, you know, ask questions as to what how did I get into this mindset? And like I said before, it's, you know, when you're where I grew up, I came from humble beginnings. So everything for me is only up. I don't have it now. I already was at the lowest point in which, you know, you can see only above, but not below because everything below is just literally the earth. You know, I've been here on government assistance. You know, I, I, I grew up in, you know, very very humble beginnings, you know, sometimes my mother would cook a meal, go inside the other room and, you know, and don't eat with us. So I've, I've been there. And um, I even recall when, you know, when I was around 19, well, probably a little younger than that, 17 years old, I handed my mom the old food stamp, the paper food stamp that came out of the booklet. I cut out the face in the middle and I put my face in it. And I handed it back to my mother and I said, one day I'm going to be successful and we won't be on welfare anymore. When I got my doctorate, my mother handed it back to me and said, you did. Oh, my God. And uh, one day, one day oh. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you it. It's, it's real. It's a real thing. Um, and it was that type of mindset that kind of led me to to get to where I'm at today, which is, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to keep being the, the best example um, possible and just, you know, try to do my best, you know, die trying, literally, whatever it takes um, to reach those those places that us as a black uh, as black people need to achieve. You know, and get oh, that, I mean, what a powerful um, story. And, and you know, when you had started to talk, what, I, what the question I was going to ask is, at what point did you feel that this is where I am now, but it's not going to be where I'm staying. This is not going to be my life. Um, do you do you remember um, the, the 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 creating that the you're putting your face on that coupon is is tremendous. But what were your do you remember what your thought patterns were at that time that said I'm I'm going to do something different? Yeah, you know, I've always had to go against the odds. I think it probably started a lot earlier than that. You know, mm-hmm. I had a speech impediment and I studied tremendously. Wow. And they used to call me Spanish speaking Charlie. Now I speak Spanish fluently, by the way. At <laughs> 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 the business in the Dominican Republic in Mexico, right? Right. <laughs> um, wow. The teacher and the social worker at that time said, you know what, you're going to be limited. You're not going to have certain professions, jobs. And I just you were in elementary school when they were telling you this Elementary school. And back then they associated speech impediments with cognitive deficiencies. Yeah. And so now you have these, you know, individuals on medicine and everything. The only medicine for me was just to get up and keep trying. You know, I was fortunate for me when um, when I was born, it, it was I was immediately delivering something into the community. If you go to Mount Vernon, New York, where I was born and raised, they have the mm-hmm. Mount Vernon Neighborhood uh, Health Center um, on uh, 7th Avenue and Fall Street. And I was the first child ever delivered out of this trailer medical experiment of a center. When I became the first child born there, it kind of 
said to them, perhaps there is a need to do something bigger. And they built the uh, Mount Vernon Neighborhood Health Center. So there was always some type of reminding. There was some, always some type of uh, guiding force bigger than all of us. I always like to attribute it to my faith, and that's God. Um, that has brought me where I'm at today. I mean, there are times where, look, I... I sat back and felt like, is it going to get better? What can I do? I I just worked. I did everything possible. And I can tell you on my jobs, I worked delivering newspapers. I begged my mom to deliver newspapers at eight years old. I worked at two Spanish bodegas. Um, I worked for Penny Savers, Curtain Country, Red Lobster, Burger King, Pathmark. I did gardening. <laughs> I, I literally construction. Um, I did all of those different uh, types of blue collar jobs and also administrative jobs. I just was never afraid of working. You know, wow. I'm trying to be, you know, the best. And every time I made something, I would bring it home. You know, I worked at the bodega. I brought home eggs. That's how they paid me. Um, and when I was selling biscuits and chicken in the projects, it was a lady she'd make biscuits and chicken. I would take it all around the projects, knock on people's doors and see if they wanted biscuits and chicken. I, I just never, you know, always try to figure out a way to be an early entrepreneur. I didn't even know the word right, entrepreneur. It was, for me, it was like eat today. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't know that word. It was too sophisticated. All I knew is I needed to eat today and help my family and, and doing those things that I mentioned allowed me to do that. Uh, my mother was a single parent. She went to school at night um, and, you know, received a a GED. And then she became um, a clerical assistant uh, going through um, Audrey Caldwell, one of those secretary skills, uh, schools. And then eventually she retired as a a senior vice president of Citigroup. So there was a senior vice president. So, you know, there was, you know, I've had a strong black woman give me a very good example of what I could be. You know, my father wasn't there for me, unfortunately. Uh, my father didn't know his father. My mother never knew her father. My name comes from a person that they both respected as a father figure. Wow. Uh, so, you know, there was, I, I really believed that there was something for me to have to do because it wasn't just an easy path for me. There was always something um, that, I mean, I could be talking on forever about it. Um, I normally don't even talk about this. I think this is probably the deepest I've ever been about it. Um, and hopefully it will help other people realize they're not alone, that, you know, um, other people have similar stories. I'm absolutely. I mean, we're going to get into, you know, uh, your professional background and, and the lessons you've learned. Uh, but this is 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 so dynamic um, and so inspiring and heartfelt. Um, I'm glad that you're sharing it with us. What would you say to people? And, and you know, I've met a lot of people. Um, and, and I myself, you know, will 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 offer up excuses sometimes for why something can't be done. And, I, and, I've, and I've, I've sat and commiserated with other folks who will talk about why things can't be done. Like, what do you say to people who come to you? Right. And say, I don't think I can because X, Y and Z. You know, I think the most important thing is, do you want it? I don't know if you can always tell somebody to do something that has to be in their heart. Some of the things that, you know, you're doing, I'm doing, you know, individuals have to want it. They have to want to be there. If they do approach me, I'm I'm hoping that they're coming to me because they want it. 
And if that's the case, I'll tell them to just do it. Don't worry about the risk. You know, take every risk. The only risk of being successful is not taking the risk at all. I know. Right? That I, is so I true. I tell people, just go for it. What do you have to lose? Go for it. If you if you think you could be, you know, I'll, I'll give you a real good example. You know, when I was doing my doctorate, I wrote a paper called The Natural You Concept. Theoretical notion of self, internal validity versus external validity, how people actually build wow. themselves up. So I looked at it and I thought about for a while, why do we get to this place where we begin to settle on being a certain person, a certain profession? And I brought myself back to that moment of, you know, when I was in elementary school and someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everyone in the room, they would say something, you know, an astronaut, and they'd be like, yes, you can, a doctor, yes, you can, a lawyer. You can say anything you want. The answer was, yes, you can. And then the grading system came in and it started saying, you're an A, you're a B, you're a C, you're an F, you're good at math, you're horrible at science, you're a good writer, you're not good at math. You know, and so those things started to shape people because it's the external validity. You don't know anything. So you only know what is being given to you. You, you have all this external validating you. And after a while, individuals settle. You know, I never was good at math. How do you know you never was good at math? Because the school teacher told you that? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's so when 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 people say I have to think outside the box, I say, no, no, the first question you have to answer is. What put you in the box in the first place? Right. Right. What What's the prior concept that, you know, put you in a position where you felt that you were confined, you know, and, and then so identifying that confinement. Right. And those things that that um, put you in that place. The next thing sh- should be is for you to remove those things and then bring things externally that you believe can help you now expand the box. And as you expand the box, you build your confidence, and then you should arrive to a point where there is no box. There is no box. Right? right. There is no box. Right. I don't need to think outside the box. There is no box. I'm open right. and embracing everything that comes to me, and, and that's that's what I believe I've always done. You know, I just did it wow. you know, unconsciously. Um, and now you're doing it. You did it for yourself, but this is what you do now with clients as a coach as well. Yes. You know, I, I, I tell people this is very, 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 um, uh, very interesting. Ninety nine point nine percent of all my clients are women. I only have one male, one male. Um, and it's not because I say, you know, a sign only women come. Mm-hmm. It's just that I have uh, found that a lot of the women that have came to me, they want growth. They want to be progressive. They want to be proactively progressive. They want to they think about their whole family. They, they think constantly growth. How can I become better? How can I compete? And uh, all my clients are black women trying to be very successful. And, and all of my clients, by the way, have been successful. Thank God, not one of my clients have not been successful. All of them have achieved greatness. Um, and all, I mean, it's just amazing, that statistic. All of my clients are women. And, wow. you know, I've had male clients 
have come and gone, but they tend to be very reactionary. They come when they have a problem, solve it. Okay, Charlie, I'm back in like a month or two. <laughs> Oh my God, this happened to me. How do I handle it at work? Okay, this is what you do. All right, it worked. See you later. Okay, I'm gone. <laughs> can, you, can you share one of, one of what's one of your favorite uh, success stories with, with some of the women that you've coached? So I have this young lady who, whose father had died in the military. Uh, the mother and uh, her and the other siblings came and had to get back into civilian life. And it was a real tough situation for them becoming acclimated. And they did not have like the structure of being, of having uh, success around them or having an example because everything was military focused. And within a short period of time, I was able to help her do well at Citigroup. And she was a very humble person. Sometimes our black women are just too humble. When they should be, you know, realize that they, you know, that they, they, they have just as much power, if not more power than, you know, male counterparts. Anyway, I kind of toughened her up and she went from an AVP to a VP. And it was just amazing to watch her take on these challenges, um, interface with people that she would have humbled herself to that were white and Caucasian and seeing and experiencing white privilege. And Mm -hmm. watch her be able to overcome that. And then on top of that, her mother became my client as well. Wow. And She's also part of the Veteran Association doing as therapeutic services for herself, being a widow uh, to a veteran. And so she did a, a major transformation. So now I have a, a mother and a, and a daughter both becoming successful, one in the Veteran Association, wow. one in corporate America. Now I'm working with the mother um, to create a not-for-profit or possible for-profit organization that is going to cater towards widows um, of veterans. And the whole uh, point of it is, is that widows are veterans. That's what we're Wow. Widows are veterans. They've wow. been there, they've gone through it. That's the right. The whole process and our military doesn't recognize it. So this is a huge thing because her just talking about it, the mother just talking about her husband, took her down and now is able to turn it around and get her to say her husband's name a different way, associating it to a foundation. Now she, her 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 um, husband begins to live on. So she never she didn't lose him now. She just has a, another part of him. You know, he's making another impact. He's still serving. So that, wow. that's one of my and it's and, and it's not a finished story. Absolutely. And we'll talk about it one of these days, Sonia. I would like her to come here. And just the it just feels so good. And, and you know, a lot of times people say, Dad, you must be charging these people. I want to be very clear. With the daughter, I I didn't charge her. Charge her to a point, but when she had the baby and charge her a single dime. Mother wow. for the uh, program and charge her a single dime. It, it's not about the money, it's about what she's gonna do. Right. right. So it's a bigger thing. I help her and then other people are gonna be helped. So I do pro bono stuff. You know, I think wow. it's very serious. You know, I'll take a, a young guy in the community and raise them up, you know. <laughs> I, I do that all the time. I mean, I can't do it forever. I won't make any money, but I do it where 
where but it's important that you do when you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you mentioned that she was from from Citigroup. And so I, I do want the audience to get a sense of of your climb um, through corporate America and then even your exit to, to become a serial entrepreneur. Um, tell us a little bit about the, your the earlier years. Um, you went to you went to college. And studied. What did you decide to study when you were in in school? So I, I have four degrees, and which is I, I don't know how I got all of them. Son, <laughs> I'm still trying to remember. I, I, I'm like I'm a doctor. I don't I don't ever realize I'm a doctor until somebody calls me a doctor. Sometimes it's like Doctor Williamson. I'm I'll, I'll be still sitting there, whatever. Doctor Williamson, really? Oh me. <laughs> That's you. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so, so when I when I started off, I wanted to be a lawyer. That's what I wanted. To okay. Be first. I wanted to be a lawyer, and right? and did you want to be a lawyer because that's what you knew? Like that's yeah. you know, doctors, lawyer. Okay. I wanted to be a lawyer because I experienced police brutality. Wow. And I was beat very bad when the skin was taken off parts of my body. Um, oh my god. At the age of fourteen, and so it. Really dramatized me, and so instead of sitting back and you know processing in a negative way, which you know I decided let me pursue law, and um, I did not have a lot. I did not have money. I did not have any backing. Um, so I would go to the. I went to the first uh, university, which was the um, public library, and I would open up all the books and I would read about laws and everything about my rights, read articles, and then eventually I was able to get into. Betty Owen, which was a, a school they did paralegal certification. And I studied that. And um, after uh, studying, it, it built up my confidence. It made me feel really strong as a person. And I could talk about that more. Um, I just don't want to derail. When I got that, that paralegal certification, I remember um, feeling good one day when I was driving a car with one of my friends. He made a right. I go into a, a bodega, get it, you know, leave the car, go into a bodega, come out, and these two cops are writing him a ticket. I just asked a simple question: What happened, Adam, my, to my friend? And one of the cops said, "Be quiet, or I'll write you a summons for not wearing a seatbelt." And I said, "And if you do that, you will be breaking the law." You know, now uh, older me wouldn't have said that. Right? Right. I would have been very afraid to say that. Yeah, um, and so. I was so upset that I turned around and I brought, um, I went back the next day to the police precinct and I asked to file a complaint. Captain came down, brought me to his office, explained what happened. He goes, you know, that person's up for a promotion. I said, and like I said, he profiled me. So I made a bet with him. I said, listen, he's working now. Yes. Okay. Bring him here. If he recognizes me, I will shake your hand and I will apologize. If he doesn't recognize me, I expect you to do something about it. So he called the guy right wow. now and he said to him, the guy was standing right there next to me. Do you know who this person is? He says, no. He asked him again, do you know who this person? No, I've never seen him before. I've never, wow. I've, I've ne I never saw him before. Wow. So anyway, you know, the captain and I, we agreed and I told him, in, you know, in a very respectful way. The point here is, is that you never know. You might need me. I might need you. Every black person is not some thug, you know. After I did that, um, reading law, I realized that all this stuff had to do with history. So I went and became a history major. 
And um, I cried all the time as a history major because in uh, school, you only know, teach about Martin Luther King and not mm-hmm. even want to touch Malcolm X because they want us to <laughs> realize we have rights. Um, and after doing that, I went and worked for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So I figured, let me go into the system now and do something about it. So what I did was I worked for the um, um, Witness Aid Service Unit that dealt with victims of crimes, mainly women that encountered domestic violence and other type of crimes. And then I was promoted to be the director of the Drug Treatment Alternative Prison Program. And I love that. job because it was all about, you know, addressing the Rockefeller laws where I was able to help people not go to prison, instead go to, you know, 18, 24 month drug treatment program. And once they finished, you know, all their charges was were dismissed and they, these were predicate felons. So they would have served any, you know, anything anywhere between seven and a half to 15 years or even possible life. And I did that. I loved it. I went to a judge because um, I wasn't sure whether to become a lawyer or go and get a master's degree in business. And she said, Charlie, you're an MBA. So I went and studied business because she noticed that I was I was big on the administration of um, of the government, which could probably led me to like roles like a commissioner or something like that. And um, I wrote a thesis uh, around the. Um, Sarbanes-Oxley, which was all the stuff that happened with Enron. Mm-hmm. And my mother uh, gave it to some executive over at Citigroup to read it, a high-level CIO. He read it. He was impressed with it. I slid in my resume. He brought me in to be um, the global head of all the service level agreements and contracts. And then from there, I just started following this crew of other um, executives and they kind of rose me up and into the, you know, corporate America. And so after a while, I started realizing, hold on here, I could do this on my own. You know, I, I already know what it's like to run a business growing up right? as a kid. I already know what it's like to um, deal with difficult times being at the DA's office. Right. You know, I know how to advocate myself. I understand law, legal. I can read contracts. I understand process. I build processes across, you know, Fortune 500 companies. I know how to deal with money. I manage budgets of over several billion dollars. I know how to deal with people. And I was also smart about using my power as an executive. One that the first time I went over to city, uh, JP Morgan, I went two times. First time they wanted me so bad, they called my mother because they knew my mother. <laughs> and said, Charlie, Charlie wow. should take this job. I was uh, mentoring a young guy uh, from Jamaica. His family came over, his father was deported. And so I told him, if, he, if you give him a job, I'll sign my contract. So they gave him a job wow. months before he graduated. So, you know, I, I, I started realizing that, wow, there are some powers that I have here. I can actually make a difference. So I started saying, you know what? I'm going to have a stronger Black agenda. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then I decided, okay, you know, let me let me now give this information to my people um, who are trying to do their own business. You know, perhaps I can help them be great. I've helped executives inside of these firms be great. Always lived in the shadows of it, white white executives being great, and they 
mm-hmm. compensated me. That's not where we, you know, individuals like me need to be more visible because if I'm visible, then I can help people make it know that someone like me exists, that they can tap and, and get that help and coaching. And I can give this information to the people that I care about the most, you know, that have this struggle. That's why we have all these initiatives. It's time for me to to give give it back a different way, not hand them a job, hand them a fishing pole. And so they can access it anywhere, anywhere they go, in any situation that they end up in. Like what you said to me in the beginning of this session, whereas I can go to different things, I can deal with tough times. I want to hand them that fishing pole so that they can fish in a pond, fish in a lake, fish in the ocean. They can fish in any types of waters and catch something. Right. And catch something. That's that's the important piece of it. Wow. Please explain what you do, because I know when I say digital currency, people think that you're probably trading. Thank you do something you. very unique. <laughs> <laughs> you're not trading. Yeah, I think that, uh, what happened was uh, several years ago, I want to say about seven years ago, when Bitcoin started to be discussed, you know, individuals became, you know, became leery of it. What is this? It's not real money. Right. It's not part of gold. It's not part of the government. It's not part of some traditional bank account. What does this mean? Well, I decided to go and explore exactly what it meant when I started to realize that cryptocurrency was a, a way to disrupt the traditional market and liberate people from being stuck in these formal traditional government uh, systems where they'd be tax for any type of compensation and most importantly financially oppressed and what I mean by that is is that only being given but so much opportunity to capitalize and become rich other than making a wish by buying a lottery ticket Mm. cryptocurrency now has allowed people to be wealthy in very, um, very simple ways. And so I started to look into that and, and I realized, hey, this is a big market here. This is a big market. Let me go and teach people. Let me show them the power of money in a different way. Before I tell you what it is, I want to say this one thing about help people understand the power of cryptocurrency. Right now, today, your most wealthiest people in the world are, are fiat rich. It means that they're government-issued money rich. Mm. Cryptocurrency is the transformation. So if everybody become billionaires in crypto, what happens to the wealthy people in fiat? Um, you see how this works? So yeah. these wealthy people need to now convert their money and try to get into a market that perhaps, you know, individuals who are the truck driver, you know, the hardworking maintenance person or whatever that's doing the hard job that turns around and says, I'm going to take $100 of my money and buy Dogecoin at 0.0005. Right. Now they go and buy it. Now they're the the person eating at the Smith and Winskies, right? You know, um, you want me to explain what digital currency is? You know, I would because I would imagine... um, that there are people in the audience like me. So, you know, I remember hearing about Bitcoin, not paying attention to it. And then it became, you know, it was more in the news. And then there was all of these, I was pitched so many, you know, be a part of this and be a part of this group and we'll teach you how to do that. And, um, which, you know, were scams. Right. And I'm going to make it very easy for you. What Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, let's just stay with Bitcoin. 
Bitcoin was created by an individual, don't know if it's a male or a female, and their whole intention was is to be able for individuals to share something, money, between each other without an intermediary, meaning PayPal, Zelle, Venmo, Cash App, because when you go through those systems, they tend to govern the money, when you get the money, how much of the money, and they take a cut. Now, the cut is the problem, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody's a pirate, exactly. yes. <laughs> and so what this individual did was he accessed another level of internet where people do coding. So you have Surface Net, which is what we're now speaking over, Google, these things. Then you have the, the deep net, which is things where you can buy and visit sites and buy things that are not legal. And then you have right. the deep dark net. And that's where these really, you know, some of them are criminal minded individuals. Some of them are ethical hackers. And he said to them, or you know, they said to them, listen, contribute lines of code to help us build this unbreakable system of record. So what a system of record is, is look at your bank statement. Mm -hmm. And if you look at your bank statement and you buy something, it can show Sonia went to McDonald's, bought something for $5. Sonia received money from this person. Sonia sent money to this person. So those records are very specific to you. And therefore, you're vulnerable because your information, we know it's you. We know it's your bank. We know all those things. Where Bitcoin came in was it said, I'm going to make everyone anonymous. And we all are going to be on one bank statement. Everyone is going to be on one bank statement. We're all going to share that. And if you do, if I give you something, this is going to say person A gave the person B X dollars. That is it. What do you, what do you exchange it for? Don't, don't, don't care. Don't know is no one's business. This system of record tracks the money that Bitcoin creates on it. So Bitcoin creates this money on this system of record, which is called the blockchain. And on it, they have say, okay, I want to create this system of record. We'll manage this bank account. We'll have $21 million in this digital ledger, this public record. And everyone gets to use that money. And it's real money because you have to use your real dollars to buy it. Right. So it's not fake money. I can now go and buy a Bitcoin, send it to you, right? Whatever the sum is for whatever, you'll get it. All right. It'll be recorded. And that's the end of it. And it will be directly between you and I. There is no other groups that are um, interfering with the relationship, only you and I. And it's anonymous. And that's what Bitcoin is all about. Now, why would you go and use Bitcoin? Why is a crypto coin uh, a powerful investment? People don't know why to buy them. What you're doing is each one of those coins have this system of record that has that processes, I'm sorry, processes transactions at a certain speed. Mm -hmm. So if I took a check, I gave you a check of $10,000 and you take that check to your bank account, they may only clear 
you know? Right, only a, a small percentage of yeah, it. A small percentage of it. And then you have to wait, whatever, seven days. Right, absolutely. Because the system of record in banks has to do a lot of reconciliation. They have to check with the Department of Treasury, check with this one, check with that one, check with the routing number, all these things to make sure it's really authentic, it's you, and the money is there to be given. Right. Bitcoin, that system of record happens in seconds. So each coin, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, have their own system of record, their own processor that have a different speed and are used and designed for different types of transactions. Bitcoin would be for the everyday person who just wants to buy Yoohoo. If you go use uh, Ripple, Ripple is a coin you know that I'm invested in Ripple now. Okay. No, and, and so, but, but can I tell you, like, this is the best education. I hope that I'm not boring the audience. I hope that they this is helpful for them as well. Because what I feel is that a lot of people don't know. And so I had a friend who has been guiding me, and so I did invest in um, Ripple in Ripple. Small. But you're making me feel a lot more confident about my investment. Yeah. <laughs> With Ripple, Ripple is a very unique. It is, has been adopted. Its processor, this digital ledger, its system mm-hmm. is all in-house. And so where some of the other coins have public, a uh, public community right. help process it, which is called miners, it's a whole other meeting. Uh, Ripple has created a federated network of internal servers that now manages the that whole processing in a very nifty anonymous algorithms. Right. So it became so popular and so and so well designed and protected that banks that decided Santander and a few of them said, I want it. Mm-hmm. Right. So they turned around, they bought it. So that's why Ripple is so powerful. XRP, which you own, is part of Ripple. It's part of Ripple and meaning that the coin exists on the Ripple platform. So it, that system of record holds whatever, 600, I believe 600 million or something like that. It's a lot of coins. Wow. Now, why would you buy a XRP? You have mm-hmm. a lot of... Um, countries like Venezuela and others that are deciding that they want to, you know, have their own coin. They want their own uh, secure system of record. And so if they use the Ripple um, platform, their system of record processing, wouldn't it be kind of smart not to create a separate coin? Why not just use the coin that already sits on Ripple, right? You're going to open up a store and I'm like, hey, you know what? I want a real good cash register um, payment system. I'm going to use Ripple. Well, what I'm going to use is money. I use dollars. I'll just use the money that's already in Ripple. You know what? I'm going to have like, you see where I'm going? Well, I I was also going to say, so, and and this is so helpful. This is so um, educating. Would this also help countries not rely on systems like the IMF, these organizations where they've been lending money to countries and then cripple them with the the interest? If they can then create their own coin, doesn't that help create some level of of financial independence for them as well? Yeah, so... um 
Let's go back for you. Okay. I knew we were, we were going to have to have you back several times. <laughs> when uh-huh. I started getting really deep into the crypto, I went to AfriExum, which was the largest, largest import export bank in Africa, mm-hmm. um, out of Egypt, Kairos, one of those. And I spoke with uh, the CEO and I said, I would like to build the AfroCoin, one coin for the entire continent. This is what this was your request. That's right. This is all and and so just so people understand that this is this is all part of this black agenda that you were talking about, right? Earlier. In terms of educating people about um how to fish in all of these different ponds. Okay. (laughs) So I turned around and I said, Listen, we should build I would like to build you a coin for all of Africa that will be the central coin in which all of trading will be rely on because the different African countries do not trust each other's money. Right. Exactly. They would use the central coin as the currency and then they convert it back into their currency. Right. So now I I use the AfroCoin. We I I'll, you'll buy AfroCoins. I have AfroCoins. You have whatever money, South African money, I have Egyptian money. Doesn't matter because we're going to use the AfroCoin, which is the currency, the crypto coin. And so that coin will now, once you we do the trade, the central banks will honor it and convert it back to you and your national currency. You see what I'm saying? Wow. Okay. And I met with them and I discussed that. And all of the central, different central banks in Africa were agreeing that they would do such a model, which is build a coin for the continent. And then that coin, they will guarantee to process it back to the uh, national currency in which wherever that uh, client or, or that business owner exists. Wow. So was this the birth? So is this the birth of your digital currency business? No, the birth, that conversation? The birth of my, my, um, it is part of the birth. Uh, what I did was I wanted to build, and I did build, a an application called Tribay, and it's a fusion of uh, eBay, um, Amazon.com, and Craigslist. And so you can mm-hmm. turn around and you can buy or sell anything, you know, buy something posted and identify which coins that you want and you're willing to accept. So we had um, uh, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and Monero. Uh, and and they can buy any product or service in exchange for those. And we left off the um, no fiat currency, no national U.S. dollar anything, because mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about the taxes. They only worry about taxes once converted back into national currency. And so when I, I did the birth of that, and so when I, I did the birth of that and brought it to places like in Africa and um other places around the U.S. and try to get investors, they couldn't see it because it was still foreign to them. What is crypto? No, yeah. I, I don't know. And then those who kind of understood it said, come back, Charlie, in three years. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> uh, and then I turned around and wanted to go another step further. And I built a cryptocurrency exchange where you can buy or sell um, cryptocurrency in a simulator so you can practice trading. You get 10,000 okay. fake US dollars and you can buy um, real time simulator and trade 
over a hundred different uh, coins. Then I created another product called Kai Trade, which allowed um, you to uh, request someone to trade on your behalf. So to teach people how to be traders, like a broker on behalf of others, cryptocurrency. So we built that and I have it as a proof of concept. I taught it over at Metropolitan College in New York and also at Kane University in New Jersey. I sat on the board those places and, you know, in teaching them, they were fine with me bringing it and uh, making it as part of my curriculum. Then I also built another one was called Chai Stream, which is basically Netflix using crypto. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think I want to subscribe to that. (laughs) I think we want to subscribe to that because what I was going to ask is for people who are interested, you know, every once in a while, there are these, um, these, these, these new, uh, things that are happening in our society economically. And often, you know, we get left behind, like we hear about it, we see it, we may have a bad experience. And so we write it off and, um, yeah, crypto is and currency trading, which is different from stock trading, um, is, you know, all of these are opportunities for people to build wealth, um, whether that they want that to, to, use, to use that as their career or they need they use that money to fund the businesses that they want to start. And so what platform and you're building some of them. Um, obviously, but you know, where would you direct people who are interested in really learning more about this? Because are you still teaching it? I was teaching some of this stuff on Facebook with some of my friends. I just started a YouTube channel, built one um, last week when I did some of these uh, early on Tribay um, development. I did it with Freedom Williams of CNC uh, CNC Music Factory. Yeah, became a, a partner um, on a lot of this stuff, and we even talked about doing maybe a podcast called CNC Crypto Factory. All right, you might want to join our platform. <laughs> no, we should do it. And he has the voice for it better than mine. <laughs> wow! So, well, our producer is listening. So, um, <laughs> but we'll carry on. I'm definitely going to start this podcast and try to provide some education. You know, Max Max Hamilton of um, Max Mogul Rogue uh, Media has also been bringing me into some of these uh, summits and discussions. It's a transition for me from leaving Fortune mm-hmm. 500s, and my goal is is to build um, build up my business in terms of the entrepreneur coaching and also the application development business. You know, my company. Mm-hmm. Not only do we build digital money, we we make the money. But I, I want to make people clear: when I say we make the money, we literally make the money. Right. We create a coin. I could create a Sonya coin in less than forty eight hours, and it will be wow. on the Ethereum platform. And you could tell me how many coins you want, what you how you want, what value I'm to set it day one. People wanted you, which could be a business for my. That could be a whole new business that I could look at developing for myself. You can use it to develop incredible uh, crowd funding. So instead of going to Kickstarter and all those things, you can use this to generate money because it'll be on a platform and they can exchange with other coins. 
So that's why people are getting in um, and doing this stuff. And you can also sell your products and services to crypto. Uh, and then you can avoid all of the taxation and only have to worry about it once you only uh, convert it. My company also does something really, really important. We are a mobile application development company. So we take people and say, forget the web. We're going to put you on Apple and Android. And so we have apps. We, we take people say whole business and put in a mobile app, make it mobile applications for them. And they can buy, sell, and have subscribed, you know, whatever you want them to do on a mobile device. And the reason why we went into the mobile business is because it allows entrepreneurship to go really fast. You can make yourself right. overnight. For example, once you have a mobile app, you're in everyone's pocket. Most people download the application, download applications and never delete them. They forget about them. Right, it's they true. use them once or twice and they leave them there. So now you have somebody walking around with your company, you're in your pocket, right? They don't have to go type in the URL and get somewhere. And if they need to buy something, they don't have to worry about pulling out their credit card and all this information and put it on an unsecure um, URL because you already registered your card with Apple and with Google Play when you opened up your account. So now all right. you have to do is hit buy, purchase, it's already there. So people are already at point of sale. You know, all of the processing, everything happens by Apple and Google Play. So you don't have to worry about trying to connect it to some other bank account or, you know, or to PayPal or Stripe or any of those things. It's already built in. It's already built in. You know, so that's right. why we got into the mobile application business. And um, it's just amazing to be able to take somebody who's trying to um, compete with Walmart mm-hmm. and say, listen, right. hey, let's create a mobile application for, for you. I have, I have a client who started a juicing business. Uh, she's making these health drinks and everything. And she goes to these pop-up uh, shops and everything and sells her, you know, sells her product. She runs out of product, though, you know, out there in the booth. And all she now has to do is say to someone, you know, hey, download my app. Mm-hmm. You can order it right there. Open up an account and you can hit the button and buy it. She don't have to worry about, you know, trying to get any specific information from them. They don't have to worry about the risk of giving credit card information. Right. And right. there it is. That person can, she can continue selling without the product sitting you know, at her um, booth. You know, one of the things that makes um, successful entrepreneurs really competitive in the marketplace is this, this ability to be able to see into the future and start developing and building before we get there. You know, a lot of black entrepreneurs are really just stuck in the day to day, like they're stuck with, you know, making sure that they can, you know, get payroll, that they can get the supplies in, that they can manage, you know, uh, hiring the right people. You know, how important is it? And I think they know it's important, but what would you recommend to people to really be able to, it's important to be present, but to also always have like your vision toward what could be happening and what's going to be going on next, the, the next big thing and how they can capitalize on it. Yeah, I think that you know, one of the things is don't allow yourself to be stuck with the vision alone. Let people contribute to that mm-hmm. vision. So, you know, if I, I remember one of the things that I learned early on is you need to leverage your network. There are people who meet people. Never call them. That's so true. Hey, you know, look, call me anytime. And they never call them. And they never call them. It's like, why you didn't call them? Well, you know what they asked for. Now I'm coaching them on 
This is what you can ask them for. Let's look at everybody in your list and figure out what they all can give you. Because there are individuals that know a lot of people and then there are individuals that know a lot of people that would be willing to give them something, you know? And so Mm -hmm. if you know people who will be willing to give you something, those are the ones when it doesn't mean that they have to give you money, they have to give you knowledge or access. Right. So it's like, okay, if I know, you know. And access and knowledge sometimes can be so much more powerful than money. I I give you a good example. Look at what we're doing here. How many people are listening? Yeah. You know, now, now they know a doctor, Charlie Williamson, funny guy, opened up, you know, a startup, a tech company, gives coaching, you know, just off of this. I'm leveraging my yeah. network. I'm leveraging Sonia. I'm leveraging this platform, you know, and, and just this alone is a starting place. Now, somebody might write me and say, hey, you know what? I have a really good idea for an app. I like to do yeah. it. Is. And and attending this one session, how many people did I reach? So, you know, the hustle, I just... I just bypass a lot of hustle. I just buy, bypass a whole bunch of email, right? It's the truth, right? You know, and, and you keep doing things like this, you know, and hopefully, like you said, I'm going to bring you back. There it is. I achieved the goal. I won you over. You're willing to bring me back. Here's success. And success should be frequent. I had a successful right. phone call. I celebrate that. Right. And people go, Dad, why are you celebrating? You didn't get anything yet. So the thing is, is that I felt successful. They understood me. Right. You know right. What I mean? I right. Like Which is huge, right? When you're when you're pitching an idea or you have an idea and someone gets it, that is like money in the bank. <laughs> even, even if they don't invest in it, I had a great even if they don't invest in it. Yeah. Run. I yeah. The right words to excite them, everything. Yeah. Celebrate. Everything, every opportunity I get, I celebrate. I have my team celebrate and they'll they'll sit there. My clients, I also make them celebrate. You know, they're like, well, but, you know, but my business still it. You know what you mean, but? But negates the first statement. Yeah, it so does. <laughs> and, and. No, and. <laughs> All right, you did this. Yeah. And you're going to do a little bit more. And you're going to do a little bit more and a little bit more. And you ultimately get there. I love that. And, and and so I think that's the perfect way to end part one. Part one of our conversation. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. What do you think I can give back to people? Oh my gosh, you already have. Are you kidding me? There's always room. If you can sit back and just say, what, what, what is it, what people are missing? I'm going to make that one of my services. You don't have to answer it now. That's how, right. that, that question of the question I'm asking you right now is, is what we should all be asking ourselves. Entrepreneurship, because I'm now asking you to tell me, and I'm serious. If you say to me, Charlie, hey, look, that coin thing that you said, you need to focus a little bit more on that. Here's the audience. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to give it a try. So I thank you so much for this. I thank you for all. It was way more than um, I anticipated. Um, Thank you. I'm thanking you on behalf of the audience. Um, I know that those who are listening uh, are going to be inspired and moved and going to be doing some homework on on uh, on a lot of the things that you you presented here. And here for you. (laughs) Exactly. I'm signing up to be a mentee. Um, I know other folks are gonna gonna sign up as well. And um, yeah. Like I, I will definitely stay in touch. Thank you so much for um, your time, the inspiration, uh, 
all of it. Like I, I'm, I'm a little speechless. <laughs> this is way more, you know, you, you know, you plan these shows and you kind of know what you're going to talk about. And you took us in so many different directions that were also so inspiring. And so um, thank you so much for listening and please share uh, these podcasts with your friends and family, as I said earlier, um, and drop us a line. Let us know how you feel, what you think, what you'd like to see. And um, if there's anything that moved you or uh, inspired you and we'll we'll see you again take care business first is hosted and produced by sonia aline edited by ken johnson executive producers ken johnson find the business first podcast on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify tune in or wherever you get your podcast the business first podcast is a mean old line media production pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer ba-da-ba-ba-ba